So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word and the reading of it? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Heavenly Father, would you help us to understand and apply this word to our lives and to the life of our church? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, the past three weeks or so, we've been talking about being compassionate and showing compassion. Then we run into scripture like this. We have to ask ourselves, what happened to compassion? This doesn't sound very compassionate to me. What are we going to do with these verses? Paul's pretty blunt, isn't he? In dealing with those who are idle and disruptive in the life of the church. He says to disassociate yourselves from people who are like this not to treat them like everything's honky-dory and there's there's no no problems no issues to be dealt with don't treat them as enemies these idle brothers are to be treated as brothers but you're not to allow their inaction or or actions to to continue to harm themselves and and to harm the body to harm the church These people weren't busy in themselves with their daily labors, working, earning a living. But instead, as the NIV puts it, they were busybodies. They were in everybody else's business and their laziness, their disruptive behavior. They needed to be dealt with and done so directly. The issue that we're dealing with is someone whose behavior of sponging off other people is causing problems in the church. You can imagine how that would be the case. That this person was not hardworking, but instead was, was, was lazy, was idle, wasn't doing what they needed to be doing. So Paul says, listen, when we were there, did you notice our example? We worked hard, night and day, to support ourselves so that you wouldn't have to support us and no one could make the claim that we were just there living off of you guys. Paul, in fact, had a trade. He was a tent maker. And so he was bivocational, I guess you could say. 
in his ministry. But one of the reasons he did that was because there were so many charlatans who would go along and who would sponge off the churches, come in to claim to be a prophet, come in and claim to have a word from God, and then take advantage and abuse the people. Paul said, we're not going to be like that. Remember, when we were with you, we worked hard when we were with you. We set an example of working hard. And he said, and and don't forget what we told you. Don't forget what we always said. If a man is not going to work, then he shouldn't eat. Wow. How many of you knew that was in the scriptures? Okay, for some of you, it took you absolutely by surprise, didn't it? You never knew that that was right there in black and white. The one who's unwilling to work. Well, he shouldn't eat. But what happened to compassion? I mean, Jesus, of course, back in Matthew 25, he, he, was, he showed compassion. Uh, he, he taught this. He said, when it comes to the last day and, and how we'll stand before God's judgment seat, uh, they'll also answer, Lord, didn't... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And then Jesus is going to answer, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And so Jesus looks like he's endorsing compassion on those who have needs. Jesus certainly set the example himself as he fed the 5,000, then fed 4,000. He was constantly showing compassion to people in need. In the book of James, last week, we we learned that that faith should lead us to works of compassion. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And if we flip a few pages over to the right, we find the Apostle John writing in 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then the very Paul who's writing this letter and says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. If a man's, the weight on a, on a person's shoulders is weighing them down, if their burdens, if are, are too heavy, come alongside and help them shoulder that burden. Now we see all of this, and, and you might get a little confused. I wonder if, if, if the Apostle Paul's getting a little schizophrenic on us, speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But in Galatians chapter 6, where we just said, where he just said, if someone's weight is weighing them down and crushing them, you come alongside and help them carry that burden. In verse 5, Paul says this. Each one should carry their own load. In, in verse 2, he says that if a man's being weighed down by a burden, help carry that load. But, but then he goes on to say in verse 5 that each person should carry their own load. Now, the word for load here, it would be used for a Roman's um, pack. That is, the, the, the equipment that, that a, a Roman soldier would carry that was sufficient for him to carry. It may not have been light, but it was his load. Lynn, you, you, you serve with men. You've carried these packs. How would you like it if, if you had a couple of guys that said, hey, hey, Lynn, why don't you carry my pack when you carry yours? That ain't working, is it? Because that's your pack. You're supposed to carry it. And that's their pack. They're supposed to carry it. You see, there, there's a load. There's a weight. There's a, 
there's a load for us that we're to carry, and we're not to push it off on someone else. That's our load. That's for us to carry. And the call of Scripture is for us to do honest work, to learn, earn an honest living, and to meet the needs of our own family. In fact, the, the Scripture's pretty blunt about it. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You and I have a responsibility individually to provide for our own families. That's part of our responsibility. And as new creations in Christ, it goes even further. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, Let him who steals, steal no longer. In other words, you've been redeemed from that. That's your past life. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has a need. In other words, it goes beyond simply working for ourselves and our families, but we are to look outside on others who have needs and to show compassion in their lives. The issue is not whether we should show compassion on those who have needs. The Bible has been very clear about that, and we've talked about it for, for, for two weeks We've talked about nothing but that. You've seen a number of scriptures on here this morning. Instead, the issue is whether we take care of those who are lazy and refuse to take care of themselves. When faced with situations like this, we need to bring wisdom to bear as we show compassion. When I was was 14 years old, I was at the swimming pool enjoying my day. My dad pulls up. He uh, he walk, So I see him pull up, so I climb out of the pool, and I, I go out there to see what he wants. He says, uh, draw off and get in the car. Okay. He's, so uh, I get in the car, and he's driving me towards home, and he, then he drops a bomb on me. I found you a job. <laughs> wow. And so I began to work at Williams Red and White, grocery store, uh, all throughout high school. When I was 15 and a half on the verge of getting my license at 16, my dad pulls up in a 1976 white Dodge Dart with beige vinyl interior and no air conditioning. He pulls up the car, sneaky, says, would you like to have this car? I'm getting ready to turn 16. He's pulled up and asked me if I wanted a car. Isn't that a (laughs) no-brainer? Absolutely, I want that car. He said, fine, your payments are $89.75. My dad, though, was teaching me early on that I needed to carry my load, that I had a weight to carry, that something that was reasonable and acceptable for me to carry in my own life. And I I learned very early on that that work is not easy. Work can be really hard. (laughs) And I've had some some interesting jobs in my life, and, and some of them I really don't want to go back and repeat. But it, that's been the way ever since the fall. It wasn't like that. That's not the way God designed it. Adam and Eve worked in the garden, but it wasn't toil. It wasn't burdensome labor. 
it was, it was part of God's plan for them to work. But it wasn't a burden. But then came sin. And all that changed. And God says to them, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Not the way God designed it, but it is the way life is now. Work is not easy. But even though work is hard, our responsibility is to work. To meet the needs of our family, to meet the needs of others who can't meet their own needs. God never, ever He calls us to rest, but he never calls us to be lazy. If you were to go in your Bible and just look up the word lazy in the concordance, that book in the back that sometimes you have when you're trying to look up a verse, if you look up the word lazy, you're going to find a number of references. Most of those are in in the Proverbs, that wisdom literature, which makes good sense since we're talking about combining wisdom with compassion today. And some of the things that you'll discover in there, some, some interesting teachings. First of all, that the lazy person finds excuses. Listen, look at this excuse. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. In other words, instead of just saying, I don't feel like going. He comes, comes up with some of the most outlandish excuses not to work. Now, I've heard one person said, if you want to... If you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. We also can learn that a lazy person gives up control of his or her own life. The hand of the diligent will rule, says Proverbs 12, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. If you're going to be lazy and not take responsibility for your own life, then you're going to end up losing some of your options, narrowing those down so that you no longer are in charge, so to speak, of your own decision-making. We also see that the lazy person causes strained relationships. Proverbs 10 is vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy man to those who send him. If you're lazy, then people are going to recognize that, and your relationships with that person are are not going to be that good. They're not going to put a lot of trust and confidence in you. Uh, One more lesson, the lazy person typically ends up in poverty. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Now, this is not to say that everybody who's poor is lazy. That's not what this is saying at all. But what it is saying is when you look at the typical life of a person, if they are lazy, the odds are they're going to end up poor. Are there exceptions to the rule? Sure. We see people who inherit millions and millions of dollars from their parents, and they just go from one party to the next, get up in the middle of the day whenever they feel like it, never have a job, never work. Sure, there are people like that, but they're the exception to the rule. The rule is if your lifestyle is to be lazy, then you're probably going to end up poor. God warns us against being lazy Because nothing good comes from laziness. And God calls the church to use wisdom as we deal with those in need, especially those who are lazy. If all we do is bail people out, 
when they get themselves in trouble out of laziness, then what we end up doing is not empowering them to have a better life, but enabling them to continue unproductive and often destructive behaviors. The challenge before us is to bring wisdom alongside compassion, to use our heads as well as our hearts. Because as we move beyond the walls of this church, we're going to discover more needs than we ever imagined existed. One of Mike Daniel's favorite sayings is that ministry is messy. You start getting into people's lives, you begin, you're going to get dirty. You can't help it. And as you get into their lives and begin to work with them and discover things about them, you're going to find that some people are where they are because of bad decisions they've made, but they're not lazy. They're not lazy. They're willing to work. They've just made bad decisions. And what they need is some re-education, reorientation. They need a sense of purpose and direction in life, someone to encourage them, and perhaps a hand up from every now and then to get them to that next level. And we have seen in this community success stories, men and women who have said, you know what, I'm not lazy, but I've had some bad things happen. I want to see a change. And we've had uh, individuals or ministries like Atlas come alongside them and begin to work with them and take them to another level of living where they are now self-sustaining, no longer dependent upon others for their existence But we also see this on the other hand. We see people who come in and seek assistance. And they have some of the saddest stories you will ever want to hear. And then you begin to scratch beneath the surface and begin to to network and communicate and connect with some other people. And what you end up discovering is that their job is to go from agency to agency, church to church, to try to get just enough to get by. That's their existence. And I'm here to tell you that we as a church need to bring wisdom when we're dealing with these kinds of issues. And you as an individual need to bring wisdom along with your compassion as we deal with people like that. How do we respond? Let me suggest some questions that we might ask as we consider responding to the needs around us. The first question that we might want to consider asking, am I actually helping this person, enabling them? Or is it empowering them? What I'm saying here is, am I keeping them dependent? Or am I trying to help them move beyond dependence so they can stand on their own two feet? So that they now are empowered to live a life without depending on others. There are lots of people who are going to live from from the moment they're born to the moment they die. And they're just going to be enabled by other people to continue to live the lifestyle they've lived. Somehow, folks... We have got to break the cycle of poverty that's in this very community. We've got to break that cycle. And the way you break the cycle is not to pour tons and tons and tons of money at it. Believe me, that's been tried. The way you break the cycle is you bring your wisdom along with compassion. You bring what God's Word has to say about life along with your compassion, and you begin to engage people where they are, but never be content to leave them there. Never enable. Our goal should always be to empower. Here's some other questions you you may want to ask. Are the circumstances staying the same or worsening or improving? 
When, when you're coming along someone, someone to help them, you, you want to be able to gauge where they are. Are they moving ahead? Or are, they, are they falling behind? Are they just kind of hanging around in the center? Because you want to change your strategies as you consider that. Is this person excuse me, doing his or her best to carry their burden? Again, you're going to meet some people who are content to let someone else pay the freight. But then you're going to meet some people who are motivated to say, I, I just don't want this life anymore. I want to be able to stand on my own two feet. I want to be able to look my children in the eye and say, hey, listen, the groceries on the table, I brought those. <laughs> the clothes on your back, I did that. The root, you know, I'm paying my bills on time. I'm not constantly running from bill collectors. Are my actions motivated by fear, pity, guilt? What's motivating you? Anybody, got, anybody know the best motivation for helping someone in need? What would it be? Love. That's your motivation. It's not pity. It's not guilt. Those are not. The motivation that should move a believer is, is genuine love for that person. Am I helping this person take advantage of his or her full potential? Here's where it gets messy. It's much easier to pull your wallet out and give somebody $5 than it is to enter into their lives and help them discover a better life. I believe that God has blessed each and every person with the ability to make a difference in this world. When we come alongside them to help them, what we're helping them to do is discover what that is that God has placed in them. What lasting good has come from my help? Again, is this a temporary fix or am I doing something here that's going to make a difference in the long term? And then, and then one more question. What potential harm has come from my help? Sometimes we hurt people by helping them. Now, admittedly, you're going to face some crisis situations that are going to require immediate attention and, and you're going to have to step in. There are people who's who, who are having their, their power turned off or, or whatever it is, and they're going to be, you're going to have to step in. It's kind of like triage you're going to have to do. But our vision should always be beyond the immediate to that person's long-term best interest. And that means investing our hearts longer than the five minutes it takes to decide whether we're going to give them a 10 out of our wallets. If we simply put a Band-Aid on a cancer, what good have we done? And i got to tell you that a lot of ministry that has been done in Jesus' name has been nothing more than putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. It's not addressing the real needs and the real issues that are at the core of why they are where they are. Our primary mission as a church is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see people's lives changed by the power of Jesus. Our task is not primarily to pay the tab to allow people to continue unproductive and even destructive behaviors. I want to toot the horn of Atlas Ministries. Some of you have involved, some of you know, I'm not going to spend, I mean, this is not a commercial for Atlas. But their approach to helping people is one that is to be admired and I think copied because they actually enter into a contract with an individual or a family to say these are the things that we will do to help you but these are the things that you must do to help yourself. It's not we're going to come alongside you and pay the freight for the rest of your life. We're going to develop a plan for your life. We'll do this. You do this. And on the other side, you will become self-sufficient. That's what we wanted. That, that to me is a good model for 
ministry, a model for compassion. When, you, when a person gets to a point where they say, we're no longer going to fulfill our end of the contract, but we want you to continue to do it, it is not compassion to say, okay. That is not being compassionate. Remember, Paul said, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. In other words, sometimes the motivating factor is going to be hunger, lack. And as long as the lack and the hunger isn't there, they may continue to live in exactly the way they've lived. There's got to be a change. I, I want to tell you, this is one of the harder messages that I've had to preach because it, it is so easy for someone to go away here, from here and misunderstand what I'm saying. I am, not, I am not giving you an excuse not to show compassion. I am not trying to give you an exit door, a, a, an escape hatch to say, oh, phew, I don't have to show compassion. What I've done, quite frankly, is I've made it harder for you. Because what I'm asking you to do is engage the world with your heart, but to use your head too. To use a mind as well as a heart that has been shaped by Christ. Jesus didn't bail everybody out. And at one point when the crowds were just asking for him to feed me, feed me, feed me. Hey, do another miracle, Jesus. Bring some more, you know, multiply some more bread. Here, I've got a loaf. Feed everybody. At that point, Jesus said, let me tell you why I'm really here. I'm the bread of life. I'm what you really need. In John chapter 6, verse 66, as Jesus began to tell them why he was really there, when these people were looking for a free meal, Jesus said, I, I didn't come just to feed you. I came to be your food. I didn't just come to meet your temporary need for today. I came to be your provision forever. And, and one of the saddest verses in all scriptures, John chapter 6, verse 66, which says at that point that many of his disciples, when they heard this, turned away and followed him no more. We need to be compassionate. We need to be touching people's lives where they are. We need to be building bridges to enable us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We need to be there where they are in order not to leave them there, but to take them to some other place, a better place. But we've got to remember, we are not, God didn't just give us a box of Band-Aids and say, hey, go patch it up here, go patch it up here, go patch it up here. He has given us a calling to call people out of darkness into the light, out of old lifestyles into a new life. And we need to take that call seriously, bringing our hearts and our heads together. Let me finish up by giving you some action items that, that might help. This is really what's going to be neat is, for those, for those of you who have grace groups that are actually doing, the, uh, doing our sermon study, man, we actually got into this last week. Our folks couldn't wait for it, so I have no idea what's going to happen Wednesday night. It ought to be great. Anyway, action items. First, pray daily for God's wisdom, knowing that you will encounter people in crisis. I do so on a day, almost daily basis. I encounter someone in crisis. We need wisdom. So let's go ahead and ask for it up front. The good news is in the book of James, it says that if, we, if anyone lacks wisdom and he asks God for it, he gives without finding fault. You know why he gives without finding fault? Because he knows you don't know it. 
He knows you need it. So he's not going to laugh at you for asking for it. Second action item. Pray for God to direct the motives and actions of the church staff and the benevolence team. So pray that God's going to give. You know, you have given charge to people in the church. And they take that charge seriously. Robert Motley and his team take their charge seriously in meeting the needs of people. We need to be praying that their motives and their actions are going to be pure and pleasing to God. Third, be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to show up and he's going to move in your heart and he's going to call you to do something and you're going to go, but wait a minute, didn't Jimmy say so and so and so? I want to tell you, if it's a choice between listening to me and listening to the Holy Spirit, opt for the Holy Spirit. You'll be in a lot better shape. Always, always, always be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, be open to helping others, but do so with your mind, spirit, and heart engaged. Use it all. God gave it all to you. Use it all. We live in a world and a community that is filled with needs. The primary means that God established for meeting those needs is not the government system. The primary means that God established for meeting those needs is the church. We've got to step up. We've got to engage our hearts. My call to you this morning, and I believe the call to Scripture that we received right here from 2 Thessalonians, is to engage our minds as well. Don't allow people to continue down paths that are unproductive and destructive in their lives when we have the truth and the means to move them from where they are to where God wants them to be.